Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Puneet Seth. He is co-founder and CEO at Toast. We're going to talk to him a little bit about what's going on in the cannabis industry, his involvement, building a brand, building Toast, and talk a little bit about what that means. What does it mean to build a brand in today's cannabis and, and hemp market? And I'm excited for this because I think that you know brand building and uh, kind of this next generation of cannabis companies is really going to have to tackle a lot of these changes that are going on in the world with, with new states coming on, you know, markets expanding, new uh, markets or new segments of the market coming in, new consumers coming in, and how we really, uh, how, the, how the industry is going to flex and change with those dynamics. So with that, Puneet, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me, Bruce. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you. So let's do background first. Tell us a story. Like, What were you doing before cannabis? How did you get involved in cannabis? What was the background? Sure. So you know, I have a, uh, I have a traditional, what I'd call traditional corporate career prior to Toast. I, I was working at Bridgewater Associates in, in finance. And then before that, I was in management consulting at Accenture. And, you know, I was, that was actually going pretty well, but I always had this entrepreneurial bug in me. And, you know, in 2014, when cannabis was legalized in Colorado, 
that one of my friends and I uh, started discussing that, who ended up becoming a co-founder. And, mm -hmm. you know, we decided to jump in. We felt that when we were looking at the industry, there was a, a really intense focus on the supply side of the industry. And my friend had a... Uh, had a uh, you know had a business in brand building and uh, he he owned a marketing agency and we thought that there was a big opportunity in the consumer space that would form in this industry and so we essentially brought on several co-founders four of us to be exact most notably our chairman uh, Chris Bergrave who was previously the former CMO of Anheuser Busch InBev decided to join us as um, a co-founder and our first investor. Yeah. And so, and, and what was the motivation? I mean, why, why get into cannabis? Was this, was it personal? Was it financial? Was it, do you see a um, business opportunity? Give us a little of the insight for you. You know, the motivation evolved, you know, initially it was really just a very uh, interesting business problem. Having yeah. gone through kind of finance and consulting, I felt like, you know, the day to day was, this was so unique as a business problem in terms of just a new industry being formed, probably the the biggest opportunity in my lifetime, especially in the consumer product space. So it was really that. I will say that as I as time has passed and we've um, you know developed toast and and I have seen the benefits of cannabis and and hemp with people that are close to me, including my family. It's become much more than just a business problem. Um, it's become more of a um, you know a passion of helping people get medicine because I have seen the, the benefits directly. Mm -hmm. um, and then also as I've learned more about the history of our industry when it when it comes to some of the social justice issues, just being in, being able to not only shape business but also shape culture and you know sh ideally help you know put a great direction on on the industry itself is has been very uh, motivating. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm curious about your experience at Bridgewater. What I mean, obviously, you know, some pretty high end, pretty unique experiences in terms of finance and really kind of the business world. How much of that have you been able to apply to toast and to the cannabis industry and sort of the hemp industry? And and what what is not applicable yet? I guess in terms of you're you know you're dealing with a fairly new market, new industry, you know, and coming out of finance, which is a fairly developed industry. What have you been able to apply, and what, and what hasn't transferred so well? You know, I think. Um you know, I spent about four years there, and I I really believe a lot of what I learned there is is applicable in, in building a business. Um, you know, the when we think about Bridgewater, you know, Ray Dalio developed Bridgewater out of his uh, essentially out of his garage some like 45, 50 years ago, mm -hmm. um, and so I think a lot of the principles apply. So, um, for example. You know, when building our business, thinking about, especially when an industry that has so much volatility, so much noise, so much hype, yeah, <laughs> just staying really focused on facts, being highly transparent, high, you know, hyperlogical, is really important in, internally on the team. Also, I think one of the things that Bridgewater really pushes is is the quality of talent. And I think the the one thing that I always wondered while I was there was, well, of course we have billions of dollars, we can we can get any talent we yeah. want. But as a startup that is uh, resource and cash poor, can you do that? And I think I've been I've been amazed at the talent we've been able to attract. Not only Chris, but everyone on the team. And it's really it's really tapping into mission and purpose. And I think that's been very I guess rewarding to see that it can apply in a situation like like Toast as well. Yeah, I, I'm curious. Are are you using the principles in in, uh, in Toast? Have you transferred some of that from Bridgewater? Well, I will say that we have a day. <laughs> We have a daily principles channel in our uh -huh. Slack. In our Slack, and uh, no, I mean we we definitely don't use uh, we don't have all the tools and and the, uh, yeah. the day to day. But but interestingly enough, I recently heard that one of their tools, the dot collector, 
has been integrated into Zoom. So I think we'll all be using the tools soon. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about kind of business strategy and how you approach this, because there's, there's lots of different ways to kind of get into the cannabis market. Like as you were kind of looking at the opportunities and kind of crafting your kind of strategy and how you were going to enter it, like what, give us a little insight on where you saw kind of your unique opportunity and how did you get things going? Right. So, you know, as we were thinking about it, we as I was mentioning, there was a heavy focus on the supply side. And as we were playing out kind of what was going to happen, as cannabis went from legalization to more normalization, we knew that there that there would be a big opportunity in consumer businesses and branding. Because, and I'm sure many people have said this, but ultimately the product would eventually become commoditized and then there would be a push towards branded goods. Now, timing is everything in this because there's quite a bit of effort required in order to actually um, develop the supply side, to actually develop, to commoditize a product that's state by state, you know, across the country. There's a lot there. And so when we were thinking about it, the other thing that we knew besides that the fact that eventually it would lead to brands was that there'd be significant volatility, there'd be regulation that we couldn't, you know, we couldn't predict. So we wanted a business model that was that could withstand heavy volatility and and be diversified. So when we went in, we launched our company in 2017, we decided not to be vertically integrated in the cannabis industry and instead work with licensed partners. This is a pretty common model today, but back in 2017 when we did that, um, it was pretty uncommon. And so that enabled us within a year and actually to launch in multiple states when developing our developing our company. What was most important to us in addition to kind of the key tenants of brand building initially was we wanted to get distribution. So we wanted to go broad as soon as possible. And our business model of, of working with licensed co-packers allowed us in an asset light way to do that. Um, mm-hmm. Hemp and CBD came later, which allowed us to essentially accelerate both the distribution and um, brand awareness of our company. And what are some of the challenges of doing that? I mean, cl- clearly the benefits you know, of not, not having to have to stand up those facilities, of being able to kind of get to market quickly. What have been the challenges of going with that model? So the most important thing in a model like that is is who's your partner. And so we knew we go through a pretty heavy vetting process, but as the industry has matured, the partners have matured. So, you know, in the three states that we've operated in cannabis, we started when there weren't really sophisticated or large operators, we worked with many small business owners, which were actually great for that phase of growth. But what's happened, not surprisingly, as the industry has accelerated and, you know, MSOs have entered and and there's lots of capital pouring into the supply side, there's institutions now being built that can really service an entire state. And so there, there was a need, and that's what we actually did in 2020. There was a need in order to kind of essentially upgrade our partnerships to larger operators. And so we started in Colorado. We partnered with the Green Solution um, which was recently acquired by Columbia Care. Um, and so the, they're the largest cannabis company in Colorado, which now provides us both with uh, access to access to supply and also uh, provides us immediate distribution. And then being part of the Columbia Care network, you know, potentially provides us access to um, other markets as well. Yeah. Any any strategies in terms of which markets you've started in or, or why you've chosen the sort of the markets you did in the beginning? Yeah. So we, you know, we were born in Aspen, Colorado. So we, we chose Colorado because... It was, it was, there was stability when it came to regulations. It was a market that really had built the industry from the ground up. And from a brand story perspective, it's really the birth of the legal cannabis movement. So we're really fortunate to have started in Colorado. Aspen specifically, when we think about the brand ethos and, uh, this the aesthetic uh, beauty of the place as well as the community and a number of things there it was really a great place to start and be a test market what we later found was 
that, you know, Aspen welcomes tourists from around the world and the country. And it's it remains today the single biggest discovery point for our brand. Yeah. You know, and then from there, California was always in our sights being sure. the biggest market. So we went there and then Nevada being um, kind of a hybrid, if you will, of Colorado and California next door. And but but also having great regulatory framework was wasn't a good next step. Yeah, yeah. And tell us a little bit about the brand, how you've kind of conceived of it, how you've developed it, how, like, who are you really kind of focusing on in terms of a segment and, and how are you positioning yourselves? Yeah. So we, when we, uh, our, our founders, I mentioned Chris, who has the background in AB InBev, and we have another founder named David who worked heavily in the spirits industry. When we first started, we, we did a lot of analogies of cannabis to alcohol with the mm-hmm. understanding that they weren't exactly the same and there'd be nuances. And so, you know, our first product, we call it a slice. It's essentially a, a really nicely designed and also manufactured pre-roll. And we essentially had this one slice equals one drink. And it was really geared towards tourists and new consumers coming into the market. Because as they walk into a dispensary, especially if they used to smoke cannabis from the 60s or 70s, they weren't really sure what they're going to be getting. Yeah. So we wanted to create like a, whether it be like an espresso type kind of equivalency or an alcohol type. So we have a slice of toast original, which is like a cocktail, toast gold, which is a four to one CBD to THC, like a champagne and a one to one toast reserve, which we say is like a scotch. That language actually took off in our local markets pretty well. It was it was very um, easy for people to understand. And that alcohol kind of analogy, we used to say toast is to be social, be mindful. It's about consuming cannabis together, kind of like the spirit of 420, but you also mm-hmm. need to be mindful of your consumption. As we, so that was in 2017, and the spirit of that still remains. But what we learned over over time is that cannabis and and also hemp, that spectrum of products, we learned that consumers are using both products for different consumption occasions. And that actually, unlike alcohol, cannabis and hemp are things that are products that can be enjoyed 24-7, essentially, just given the, the myriad of uh, occasions or functions that it fulfills. And so, you know, what we say today is that toast is to celebrate life in full spectrum. And so, the full spectrum aspect of it is, as I was saying, cannabis and hemp and other minor cannabinoids. But then there's also the celebrating life that comes from the alcohol world in the sense that there is this brand positioning of uh, celebratory moments that alcohol often tries to own. Uh, we haven't really seen that in the cannabis space and our name toast to make a toast or to essentially kind of embodies that. So when we think about And when we think about celebratory moments, it's not just about social and getting together like when we started, which was when uh, in the world of COVID, there's also celebratory moments that are individual. And so what you've seen from 2017 to today is that we're available in more form factors. We're available across the full spectrum, but all of our products really focus on helping people celebrate the plant and celebrate their moments. And generally, are you focused on people that have used cannabis before or new to cannabis? How how have you kind of looked at that sort of way of slicing the market? You know, we've definitely focused from the beginning our marketing towards consumers that are new to cannabis or social consumers. But what I will say is that uh, what we've learned, again, is that because cannabis is something that is being consumed 24-7 along with hemp, there are many consumers that enjoy regularly that, you know, that might want a more high THC product or may a more highly potent product that love to incorporate toast into their routine. 
um, mm. which has been an interesting learning and, and kind of new consumer journeys we had not thought about when we first introduced the brand. Yeah. And how, how have you kind of approached this cannabis versus hemp or, or you know, sort of the, the THC divide of, of these markets? Is this, I mean, clearly, you know, from a regulatory point of view, you can only, you can only service, you know, certain markets with the THC side. But is this, as you look at your products, separating them by these categories or how, how are you kind of looking at your product categories and how are you combining these kind of different combinations and formulations of, of um, you know, cannabis and hemp? So, you know, the, the product in cannabis, we still only sell the, the, the pre-rolls or the slices of toast. And so we actually created a spectrum. You know, there's, I was mentioning there's a four to one, two to one, one to one in the cannabis side. We have mm-hmm. toast emerald, which is our hundred percent hemp pre-roll, hundred milligrams of CBD per stick per slice. Mm-hmm. So we've actually extended that. So oftentimes what you hear is that when in markets that are, this is not legal, we get lots of questions. We often hear that it's the best pre-roll they've ever had. It, it's grown with organic kind of um, Oregon organic hemp, but people ask for the uh, the cannabis pre-rolls. So we, and, and vice versa, we hear people that say that they love the Toast Gold, which is a four to one, but they would actually love one that has, you know, little to no THC. So they like the Toast Emerald. That really is the connection um, today between the two in terms of a, from a product perspective. But what we, what we see consumers, um, doing again is that they, they kind of mix and match, um, in the markets where they're allowed to do that from just like an operational perspective. We've kept, we've kept our products to just the pre-rolls and slices, just given the complexity of build, even though we don't own the supply chain, just there is heavy complexity in building multiple products in multiple markets. But what we've always thought of is that we, we've seen great success with our you know, chocolate supplements and, and a number of other products that we have on the CBD side. We'd love to bring those to the THC side when when the time is right. Yeah. And how, I guess, what's on your strategic map in terms of regulatory changes? You know, we've got a change of administration here. There's a couple of new states have come online. How are you looking at the next, you know, three, four, five years in the cannabis industry in terms of you know, what regulatory shifts may come and how are you kind of either preparing or preparing yourselves to respond to, to those changes? You know, I think we'll see what happens. Uh, we'll see what happens with the uh, with the Senate. But I think in the absence of a kind of fully democratic Congress and, and administration, you know, I don't I don't necessarily see the, the legalization of cannabis. I think there's a number of other pressing issues for, <laughs> yeah. for the government to tackle. Um, but what I think we will see is that we will see the uh, you know, more and more favorable legislation, whether it be kind of, you know, towards banking or even potentially, I'm not sure if we'll see interstate commerce in certain areas, but but I think I think really banking will, will provide, you know, great confidence to markets. I think what's clear from the recent election, though, with some of the most red states in the union, whether it be Montana or the Dakotas kind of legalizing recreational cannabis, I think that, in my opinion, has sent the signal Everyone in the industry has always known that there's going to be legalization. But I think that sent the signal that this is really a great opportunity for investors to enter because it truly is just a matter of time before we hit legalization. So I think that's really been the best, the biggest outcome of the recent election. Yeah. And as you've kind of looked at expanding the business, where do you see the next big challenges in terms of, you know, as as the company grows, what do you anticipate as being kind of the, the big hurdles that you have to overcome as a company? You know, I think since the beginning, it's it's actually been the same challenge, which is, you know, I can't speak to entrepreneurs and in other industries, but with our industry, there's nothing but market market size and opportunity. There's just, you know, every, you know, when New Jersey legalizes, there's another several billion dollars in market share or market um, size that, that increases. And that's kind of happening every year. So we're just overwhelmed with opportunity, whether it be products, 
whether it be markets, whether it be global markets versus domestic markets. And so it's just figuring out how to grow in the most effective way possible, because it's very easy to make the wrong decision, essentially making a low NPV decision versus really trying to optimize that. You have to use your resources uh, wisely. So um, it's something that we probably obsess about and think about every single day to ensure that we're um, growing in, in the best way. Yeah. And and how have you, tell me a little bit about the talent side of things. I mean, I was curious how, how companies are, are finding, you know, the various talent they need. I know this is a, a pretty dynamic growing industry, you know, just doesn't have enough. We, we currently don't have enough people in cannabis to be able to fuel the growth. Where are you seeing people coming into the cannabis industry from? What's working? What's not? Why are they, you know, where are the big needs inside cannabis as you look at the industry? Right. You know, I think that initially there's there's been a very good blend, which I've been happy to see of, you know, traditional consumer CPG talent. And then there's, but what I, what I've really found well, especially when thinking about kind of the feel and the people that activate and the front lines of the brand, if you will, is a really good mix of people that have consumer products and cannabis experience, which early on was pretty hard to find, but uh, today is becoming much more prevalent. And so, you know, and I think that's really important because there's, when we're thinking about activating a brand and how to how to bring it to market, that can that CPG experience is very helpful. But there's also, there's an arrogance that can potentially come from the CPG side where while many of the fundamentals are the same, cannabis is also very different. There's there's a rich culture behind it that you have to understand. And I think people with that cannabis experience has been helpful. So I think those are the hardest, that's the hardest talent to find. Um, and I think there's significant demand for people with that with that skill set. In terms of how to find the talent, I will be say I'm, I will say that I'm very happy that for a lot of the talent that we've been able to find, we've been able to attract them, um, whether through brand discovery or just um, some really basic methods of just posting and, and people people learning about our story and becoming very passionate about joining our company. But you know, there's just like any other industry, we've we've also worked with some great firms, whether it be like Force Brands or um, or actually a company that was born out of Bridgewater uh, through some founders called Scouted. Oh, nice, yeah. And as you look at as you look at the um kind of product as the market, you know, matures here, what are, what are some of the big competitors or, or people that you're watching as, you know, as you look at kind of the development of brands and the the evolution of the market? Do you see either people that are, you know, doing interesting things or or, or doing things in ways that, you know, you're kind of keeping your eye on as, as a cannabis brand? Yeah, you know, absolutely. I think that, as we all know, there's not, there's not really a Coca-Cola uh, that exists today. Yeah. And but there are very interesting things happening in in regions of the country. I will say that, in my opinion, the only because again we operate both in cannabis and hemp. Yeah, Charlotte's Web is a company that's done, in my opinion, a great job. They're you know really ubiquitous with CBD. Just given from the story of CBD, really the birth of CBD, um, and they've been able to get great national distribution. And so, really, I think that's when we think about and step back across the field. That's really a company that's still in the very beginning stages of its brand story, but has really developed a brand that maybe the average Joe or Jane on the street actually has knows and, and knows the story behind. So, you know, I, I'd say that they've done a great job. And I think that as we think about cannabis companies, you know, there's some really interesting things going on around uh, that around the country, but I don't think anyone has really been able to, they may have been able to do something in their region and now they're looking to kind of expand to their next market but actually truly building a national brand with both breadth and depth, 
I don't think anyone has accomplished yet. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned earlier a little bit of the one of the dynamics of the cannabis industry being the historical, political, kind of racial aspect of the laws and the, the regulation of cannabis. I guess, what's your kind of take at this point in terms of what the cannabis industry has been doing well and what it's not been doing so well in terms of Writing some of the wrongs, you know, making sure that we've got, you know, a level playing field or a playing field where everyone has opportunity. You know, I know as various states have put together various programs of, of providing social equity licenses and stuff. I mean, do you, do you feel like we're doing a good job? Do we need to do more? If so, how? Give us your take. You know, I think I think one of the things that our industry has done very well, and it really goes to the the entrepreneurs and, and kind of the pioneers that are working in the space, has been um, bringing awareness to the problems, whether it be, you know, reading the book, Chasing the Scream, or or, or really pushing, or whether it be the, the Last Prisoner Project, kind of shining a spotlight on on some of the issues there, something that Chris has worked with on, on the uh, NYU front as well. But, I, you know, I think, I really think we're just at the beginning. Um, awareness is one thing. Um, and while I think there's some great organizations that are doing um, some great things, and we're trying to do our part as well. I think there's a lot more that needs to be done. you know. And I think maybe it's just because I come from finance and consulting. I really think it's institutions that have, that control the flow of money. And when we think about kind of wealth, that, that really need to kind of lead the charge here. So whether it be the venture capital firms or the pri- private equity, like I, th- I think companies holding their portfolio companies accountable and not, you know, I think it's a good step to kind of have a mission statement about wanting to help minority owned businesses or trying to right the wrong here. But it really takes a lot more than that. And I think I think this what I'm happy to see is that the spirit is there and the intention is there. But there's a significant amount of work that still needs to be done in order to really um, make an impact. Yeah. What do you what would you recommend, I guess, to other business owners, to people in the industry in terms of you know, what to focus on, you know, above and beyond the, just the spirit and the intention, are there particular areas of the industry that you think need more focus or, you know, that, that will be kind of a leading force in, in helping the future kind of evolve in an equitable way? You know, I, um, I would say, and I just kind of speak to what we, we have plenty of room for improvement as well, but what we try to do is first, I mean, you know, we, our board and our company and our management team, as well as everyone on the, on the, on the team, uh, we truly believe that having a um, whether it be a diverse workforce or a you know diverse set of ideas is uh, not only necessarily the right thing to do. It's um, it's actually the only way to win. Uh, yeah. It's the best. It's the way to get to the best answer. And so I think companies that really it's like one of those things um, that when you talk about it, it's really hard to find anyone that would disagree that our industry needs to do more of this. I think everyone agrees that this is something we need to do, but actually implementing it, you know, actually when you're talking to your key partners, your biggest customer and asking the questions of what is holding them accountable, essentially. So, you know, we hear that this is your mission. We hear that you're going to like put 15% of shelf space towards black and brown businesses. What have you done so far? What are the businesses that you've actually brought in? How are you thinking about that? And like, I mean, I think, those types of questions, which are very basic and non-con, they're not meant to be confrontational. They're meant to have a dialogue. Um, I have found go a long way, um, and uh, and oftentimes, unfortunately, we're like the only company that's ever asked our partners these questions <laughs> before. So I think the more and more we can do that, 
really just keeping it front of cent- front and center and in part of the dialogue day to day is just a, it's just a good next step. Yeah, that's excellent. Panit, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, about Toast, what's the best way to get that information? So the, the easiest way is to uh, go to our website, wetoast.com, and uh, also the same handle on Instagram as well. And feel free to reach out. We'd love to continue the conversation. Yeah, I'll make sure that the uh, links are in the show notes here so people can get that information. Panit, thank you so much for taking the time today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Bruce. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.